Welcome to Bald Head Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Bald Head Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to Patreon. Dot com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Satan had been here before, whispering lies in the ear of a victim, trying to get the one he has chosen for destruction to utterly and shamelessly sin and fail. You know, it had worked hundreds of years before with Eve. He had openly lied to her, told her that God was hiding something fun from her, keeping her from the best life that he had to offer and only offering Eve some type of measly bauble in return. Just giving her the appetizer and denying her the full luscious meal. This is what he whispered in the ear of Eve. This is what he told her, right? It had worked. And I wonder if Satan thought to himself it worked with Eve. Why wouldn't it work here? See, in the garden, he had appealed to Eve's physical appetite, Eve's desire for personal gain, and thirdly, he had appealed to her desire for a path to power or glory that was easy and quick. It had worked so well back then, and it probably worked over and over and over again with other victims. His goal was simple, to get that person to sin, and so his goal here is simple as well. To get Jesus to sin. And how? He's going to sin by rejecting the authority of his father. If he could get Jesus to do that, then Jesus would be destroyed and would essentially become Satan's evil apprentice, like the emperor and Darth Vader. Satan being the emperor and Jesus being Darth Vader and whatever he wanted, he controlled. If he could get Jesus to deny the Father, to disobey the Father's will, he could have it all. (laughs) He probably laughed to himself, rubbed his hands together with glee, and began his evil work. Time to take the Son of God down. Now, it's important to remember, whenever you meet Satan, which I hope you never will, but you've got to keep in mind that whenever you meet or read about Satan, you got to remember this. He's evil, and he wants to destroy you. He may act all friendly. He may act as if he has your best intentions at heart or in mind, but he doesn't. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He hates you. And he wants to see you fail. And here in Matthew chapter 4, he especially wants to destroy Jesus. 
If he can get the Son of God to sin, then game over. Jesus becomes his apprentice and Yahweh loses. Jesus has just been baptized. And it was probably one of the high points of Jesus' earthly life to hear your dad say how proud he is of you, to hear your dad say, I am well pleased in you, for Jesus to be reminded of the glory he had in heaven, the union and peace he experienced being one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. I mean, this must have been one of the greatest moments in his life and ministry here on earth. But now, Jesus has to be facing one of the lowest. God the Father has asked Jesus to fast for 40 days and nights. To go into the desert, which was blazing hot during the day, freezing at night, and on top of all that, full of wild animals. I mean, it's a frightening place to be simply on its own, but to fast on top of it, to not eat any food, but simply drink water, and to do that for over a month, 40 days? Would you have done it? Would you have obeyed the will of your father and gone into that wilderness? I think I would have rationalized why I should stay with John the Baptist and join his disciples for a while. And, and doesn't God the Father want me to teach? If I go into the desert for 40 days for about a month and a half, won't the ministry all fall down and fail? But Jesus, Jesus the Son of God did no such thing. He chose instead to trust the Father. He chose to trust and believe his dad. I know for some of you that simple act is profoundly difficult. You know, to say you trust your father is hard, as you have had an earthly father who has let you down over and over again. But I want to say, if you are going to make it as a disciple of Jesus, you have to obey the Father's will. Or in our case, we have to trust and serve Jesus, even if sometimes it makes no sense. Well, God asked Jesus to go into the desert, around Jericho, around the Dead Sea. Now, it is a hot, dry place full of mountains and craggy outcrops. And, and the only thing Jesus could bring with him was a water bottle, probably made of sheep's guts or leather. You could fill it with water, but once you run out, you have to then find opportunities to fill it from springs or wadis there in the desert. And that's it. Nothing else. No food, no beef, no lamb, no pita bread, no hummus, no little Debbie Swiss rolls, you know, none of that. So what would you do for 40 days and 40 nights? What would you do all day? Well, you know what Jesus did whenever he was alone? He communed and prayed with the Father. He probably spent all day praying for guidance, praying for wisdom. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 8, that during his earthly life, Jesus offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And he's suffering here in the desert, I think. You know what's also interesting? God has asked him to go fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, the Bible talks about fasting as a normal spiritual practice. 
In fact, Christians are still to do it quietly without telling anyone. And by doing a fast, the main point is you usually give up food to discipline yourself and have extra time to spend in prayer talking to God. And I think that is what God the Father has asked his son to do here. This isn't a punishment. This is to spend time with the Father for an extended period of time before Jesus' ministry kicks off in earnest. Most modern fasts, I think, only last a week or two, but a 40-day fast, man, that does seem extreme. It's been done before by humans, right? Moses fasted for 40 days twice. And so humans, like Elijah as well, have completed fasts like these, and So I believe Jesus was called by his father to wander in the desert to be alone with him, the father, and to devote that extra time not eating, but instead to spend time in prayer. But you know what? This would still require Jesus to completely trust his father. To be called to a 40-day fast is tough enough, but then to be called to one in a barren wasteland? That is even tougher. The Bible says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to fast and be tempted by the devil. One of the goals of this fast, this time away, was sadly to be tempted by Satan. Now that word tempted there in the Bible in Matthew 4 can also be translated tested. Jesus was going to be tested. Basically, Matthew had proven in the first part of the story that Jesus had the legal right to be Israel's king. But now the question before the reader is, does Jesus have the moral right to be the world's savior? Was Jesus really that good? Well, this time of testing, this time of temptation was going to prove it. Jesus would be proven to the world that he was God and able to claim the title of Messiah. He's going to fail these temptations. He's going to fail these tests and essentially become the apprentice of Satan. This is a pretty important time. The salvation history of the world hangs in the balance. What's going to happen? And to Matthew's readers, who probably mostly would have been Jewish, It's interesting. At this point, they would have seen some parallels. They would have seen the connection between Jesus being the chosen one of God and Israel being God's chosen people. Then they would have thought of their ancestors receiving the law and then wandering for 40 years and all the problems they went through in the desert during that wandering. They would have thought of the myriad of tests that the people went through and how they failed again and again and again, but how Jesus... He's not going to fail during his 40 days. And I think Matthew's audience would also have thought of Adam and Eve and their temptation in the garden. And they would have thought of Moses and his 40 days fasting on Mount Sinai. And they also would have thought of Elijah and his 40 days fast. And I think Jesus would have also thought of the heroes of the faith and, and what his father was calling him to do. To fast to spend time with the Father, to rely solely on the Father to take care of you for the next 40 days. Drinking water, praying, walking, kneeling in prayer, drinking more water, 
trying to find water to fill your water bottle, sleeping, then waking up and spending more time alone with the Father. I mean, that would have been frightening and wonderful. And and then, then the hunger, a lot of hunger. I think at first the hunger would have been great for Jesus, but then as his stomach began to shrink, I think the hunger would have been less and less, but it'd be still there, right? In fact, Matthew mentions that Jesus was hungry after fasting this long. He was hungry after a 40-day fast. I'd be starving after a two-day fast. But Jesus was hungry. That's what the Bible says. He was in a weakened condition, and he was hungry. And that is when Satan pounced. That is when Satan began his temptation. I wonder what Satan looked like. You know, I think Satan probably showed up in human form. Maybe Jesus woke up on day 40 and saw the feet of a man standing there. And as he looked up, (laughs) he realized it wasn't just a man. I'm sure Satan in his arrogance probably kept his fallen angel look to a certain extent. The Bible talks of Satan taking the form of an angel of light, and maybe that is the way he looked. Human form with light radiating around him. Exhausted, hungry Jesus probably stood up, dusted the dirt off his tunic, and then Satan made his first offer, his first punch in the big fight to come. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That's what Satan said. If you are the Son of God, make these stones or tell these stones to become bread. Now, people who have been to this desert region say many of the stones are rounded and elongated and shaped a bit like a loaf of bread. And I could see Satan picking up one of these stones and then encouraging Jesus to turn them into bread. You're hungry, Jesus. Use your powers to make food, to eat. You have a physical need. You need to fill it. Do it. But the problem was, that was not what the Father had commanded. Satan is encouraging Jesus to disobey the Father, to listen to his flesh, his natural appetite, and to fulfill it. Sure, God the Father has not asked you to eat, I can imagine Satan saying. Sure, God the Father has not asked you to eat, but surely he would not want you to deny your appetite, right? Hunger is a normal urge. You need to fulfill it. Turn the stone into bread. I can imagine Satan shoving a stone under the nose of Jesus. But if Jesus had done that, He would have gone against the explicit will of his father. And in doing that, he would have committed a sin. Fulfilling that fleshly desire that his father had commanded him not to fulfill. That's a sin. You know, we can all relate to that sin, right? We've all been tempted in that way in some way. We have a fleshly desire that is screaming to be satisfied, and Satan tempts you to fulfill it outside of God's will, God's law. And the human appetite is so strong. 
it is so strong that at times we ignore the specific will of God and we go ahead and fulfill that desire anyway. For some of you, it's looking at images and movies. You know, you shouldn't. For some of us, it's giving in to anger and other fleshly desires that are explicitly forbidden in Scripture. Hey, I just want to encourage you. And I want to encourage myself. Next time you face a temptation like that, remember, Jesus faced the same temptation and he did not give in. And and neither do you. You don't have to give in. Well, Jesus, he ignores the temptation. As strong as it was, he ignored it. And you know what? He fought it by quoting scripture. He doesn't say anything else, just scripture. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3, and he says this, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You can imagine Jesus staring at Satan and quoting that verse, and then proverbially, bloop, dropping the mic. That's it. He didn't give him some long psychological discussion, you know. He didn't give him some long rationalization. No, he just quoted scripture. That simple verse is what he uses to beat back this mighty, rebellious demon. One simple verse. One simple verse and Satan is rebuffed. One simple verse and Satan is knocked back. But now... He comes back. Okay, okay, appealing to his deep hunger, his fleshly appetite to get him to disobey his father didn't work. Okay, Satan's thinking, let's go for my next big winner for pride. So Satan takes Jesus up to the height of the Jewish temple. Now, they were probably not hovering above the peak of the temple or the pinnacle of the temple, but we're probably standing on some part of the roof. I can just imagine they're standing there in the desert talking and then boom, Jesus and Satan are no longer in the desert. They're on the roof of the temple. Pretty impressive flying around like that. Remember, Satan is a powerful supernatural being for sure. But you know what? Jesus is way more powerful. Up there on the roof, Satan begins to encourage Jesus to give in to give in to his natural desire to be exalted, to feed his pride. I mean, this was Satan's original sin. It was what caused him to sin to begin with, to rebel against the Father. And I wonder if Satan's thinking it might work here. He quotes from Psalm 91. Satan quotes from Psalm 91, and he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Here's Psalm 91. He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He says, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down from this pinnacle, from this height. God the Father has to protect you. He's given you angels to protect you, and you can gloriously announce, I am the king, and I am here. Satan quotes from Psalms 91, but he also knows that 
There's a prophecy in Malachi that the Messiah would suddenly appear, and some rabbis in that time taught that the Messiah would appear on the temple roof. And here is your chance, Jesus. Get the credit you deserve is what Satan's saying. In fact, there's a psalm that shows you have this right. Psalm 91 verses 11 through 12, Satan quotes it. And essentially, Satan is saying, promote yourself. Throw yourself in dramatic fashion from the Temple Mount. The Father said he'll protect you. Promote yourself and test God. See if what he says in his word is true. You know, Satan is attacking Jesus' natural desire to fulfill his human desire for pride. And also, Satan at the same time is trying to get Jesus to put the Father to the test. Well, you know what? Both of those are sin. To test God is another direct violation of Scripture. Starving Jesus could have responded to both of those encouragements with a yes, you know? But he knew to do that would be sin, and if he sinned, he would cease being God. The whole plan of salvation would unravel. So again, Jesus, so thankful for Jesus. He rejects the offer with one verse of scripture. And this one is also from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus defeats Satan with scripture. Jesus knew scripture, and you know what? He had memorized it. He had taken it into his heart. What does the Bible say? So that I will not sin against you. Jesus did that. He memorized scripture. And so should I, and so should you. I wonder if Satan was getting angrier and angrier as his attempts to tempt Jesus to sin were failing. In desperation, Satan tries one last tactic. He offers Jesus control and rule over all of the kingdoms of the world if he would worship Satan. Satan whisks Jesus off to the top of the highest mountain in the region and, and probably through a series of visions shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He shows him all the splendor that was out there, all the people that he could reign over, the beautiful buildings, all the gold, the power, the glory, and all that might could all be his now, right now, if Jesus would just bow and worship him, Satan. Now, the thing is, these nations are already Jesus's, right? They're already his. All these nations will one day bow their knees and proclaim Jesus as Lord and King. But what Satan was trying to do is he was saying, these could all be yours right now, right now. The Father said all of these will be yours, but you will need to suffer. You will need to die on the cross. You'll have to face great suffering and shame before you experience the glory. But Satan goes fooey with that. I'll give it to you all right now. Just bow down and worship me. You know, I wonder again, how tempting was that for Jesus? To not have to bear the sins of the world on his shoulders, to not have to go through scourging and death, 
to not deal with the coming years of hardship and mocking and suffering and trials. But then there would be no cross, and if there was no cross, there'd be no salvation. Plus, to bow down and worship an inferior being like Satan would lead to Jesus' loss of deity. He would cease to be God. I think we've all been there, haven't we? When Satan offers the same thing God offers, but with a dark and horrible twist. I think of one. You, you want love. You want companionship. And Satan says, I can offer it to you right now, that person at work that you're getting friendly with. They're awesome. They're beautiful. They love you. They like you. You know, some of you are teenagers dating, right? And and you meet a beautiful guy or a girl, and they're so much fun, but they don't love Jesus. They aren't a Christian. They don't follow Jesus at all. And Satan says, this would be a great boyfriend. This would be a great girlfriend. Pursue them, pursue them, pursue them. But Jesus says, I've got something better. But Satan says, you could have it now. But they're not a believer. But you could have this wonderful person now. Just because they're not a believer doesn't mean they're not a wonderful person. And you're thinking, I want love now. I want companionship now. But God says, wait. I have a plan. Satan comes and whispers into your ear, do not trust God. Pursue this wrong relationship now. Or maybe you want to provide for your family. You know, Satan offers a quick solution through something as extreme as stealing. Or maybe something more subtle like not tithing. I could use that tithe money to pay a bill. And Satan says, do it now. Do it now. Follow my way. You want that promotion at work. Think what you could do in that position for the glory of God. But... It may take time for you to get it, and God has a plan for you to work through. But you're thinking, I don't have time. And Satan offers a way to get that position, but it takes a little bit of gossiping, a little bit of backstabbing. But if you did all that, you could have all that power and glory now. But at what cost? How would you end up making Satan an idol and end up worshiping him in his twisted, evil ways rather than trusting in your Father and following Jesus? Don't take the quick, supposedly easy way. Follow God. Follow Jesus. Follow their commands. Obey him. Follow Jesus' path. Again, Jesus refused the temptation by simply quoting Scripture. He chose from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 13. It simply says this, You are to worship the Lord your God and worship only Him. He quotes Scripture. It's such a simple way to fight, right? To memorize scripture. And when Satan comes along with those lusts of the flesh and those lusts of the eyes it talks about in 1 John and the pride of life and offers you these things, Jesus' model is to simply fight it with scripture. 
to have scripture in your head, to repeat it, to meditate on it, to have it in your mind, and then also to verbalize it and to fight Satan, not with your brilliance, not with some sort of big spiritual ability. No, it comes down to simply memorizing and stating and following scripture, God's word. And with that last test, Satan lost. And he left. I wonder if he left with a shout of rage ah, or anger. No! Or if the father said, enough is enough. Leave my son alone. And whoosh, God whisked him out of there. We do know he left. And we do know the Father then sent angels to comfort and care for Jesus. It was over. Jesus had won. Satan had lost. Thank you for listening to Bald Head Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.